Good evening, everybody, and welcome. Tonight's class is titled Action and Intention, Body and Soul, and we're going to begin chapter 38 of Tanya. This week's Torah portion is called Kisavo. What does Kisavo mean? When you come. When you come. When you come where? Moshe is talking to the Jewish people. And he's telling them things they should do when they come to the land of Israel. Okay, so the obvious question is, when do you come to the land of Israel? The Jewish people took them 14 years to get settled. So, when do they come to Israel? The day they entered? Or 14 years later, the day they were settled? The day they entered. The day they entered is the day they came to Israel. And that's what it naturally would seem. But Rashi tells us that the day they come to Israel is not the day they, they entered. In the words of Rashi, this is, this is the, first, the first Rashi on this week's Torah portion. Rashi says... This talk, this idea of coming into the land refers to when they concluded conquering the land and dividing it. So 14 years later, after they had conquered the land and divided it, then it's considered you've entered the land. What does that mean to us? It means to be somewhere we need to be fully present. To be in Israel is not enough to enter the land. You have to be settled there. And today, in our day, more than ever, we're all over the place. I'll talk for myself, with my phone, with the internet, with... You know, it's sometimes you could be somewhere and you feel you have no friends because your phone is not buzzing. But you have friends around you. But the fact that you haven't gotten a... <laughs> Maybe you just don't have friends. Could be. Could be. And I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> the <laughs> we need to be present. And that is what this week's Torah portion is telling us. So when we're in something, we have to be fully in it. Fully there. Very powerful lesson. So be here now. Be here fully now. So mindful, mindfulness. mindfulness, mindfulness. Yes. Do you, sorry. Oh. Oh, go ahead. So do you do you think that the the new technology has made it worse, or do you think it was always where people weren't focused? I, I don't know. That's a question that I, I would love I to hear know. the answer. So we always like to fall back and say that this this device. Um, keeps us unfocused um, and that before we had the devices I would argue people were still unfocused it is depends you know with, with technology well it's not just technology I think we're more unfocused now thanks to all our devices and what do you uh, you could use it for things to help you focus yeah. I don't want to go too tangential, but I'll argue people are just as lonely now as they were before we had devices. 
Sure, sure. Why? What's your... Because this doesn't make you friends. It might keep you, make you connected, but it doesn't bring you friends. I, I want to say, though, on a, on a level, as an educator, we do, we are seeing a rise in attention deficit disorder and children that are less and less able to concentrate. So mm -hmm. there is, I'm not, I'm not in the scientific aspect or I don't know all the data, but we are seeing a rise mm -hmm. in it. The attention span is shorter. There is real stuff. Uh, can I ask one kind of sequential question? Sure, Very sure. quick. So this week is Kitavo. I heard the Parsha this last week. Yeah. It was Kitetse. Correct. So you talked about Kitavo means after the 14 years right. of conquest and settling. Right. Kitetse had to do with war. Was this, so was this, was this like at the beginning of the wars that would be fought to conquer the land? Is that why, is that why they talked about all the laws of, of military and war and everything? Last week was about war. Kitetse la milchama. Was that before the 14 years when they were about to... That, that, that was talking about the day you enter into Israel. And uh, you're going to... Yes, yes, yes. So, okay, I just want to understand where... We're and actually, actually, actually the, 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 the war mentioned in the previous Torah portion, I need to say, was an interesting type of war. I actually apologize. I don't know to take you off track. That war was a permit... Yeah. That war was an optional war. I'm not going to get into it right now. Yeah. So the 14 years, are these the 14 years after the 40 years? Yes. Okay. 40 years of journeying and 40 years of journey they entered into Israel, Israel and 14 years later they were settled. They were settled there. So, we don't, so what you're saying is they weren't truly in the land of Israel for 54 years? Correct. That, that would be a fair statement, yes. Okay. Yes. I never heard that before. So, what are we learning here? We're learning here we need to be present. So let me share with you a Gemara that perhaps con con contradicts this idea. The Gemara in Brachis, Yud Gimel Amad Beis, 13b, tells us that the requirement of it having intent during Shema is only the first paragraph of Shema. Listen to these words. From here onward is the requirement of recital. The first paragraph of Shema, we need to have Kavana, we need to have intent, the Gemara says. But from there on, you need to recite it. Meaning you don't need to be fully present. You don't need to be present. Let me share with you what the... From the second paragraph on. From the second paragraph on. Let me share with you what the Shulchan Aruch says in chapter, in chapter 62 in the laws of Kriya Shema. The Shulchan Aruch says, A person is supposed to hear the words he pronounces. You, if you, you know people, they're, they're moving their lips. Mm. So that's good. But even better is when they move their lips and they hear themselves what they're saying. I don't need to hear. But you should hear the words you're pronouncing. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the th- you should hear the word you pronounce. If you didn't hear what you pronounced, yata, you fulfilled your obligation. As long as you articulated the letters in your lips. Meaning, the Mishnah Brura says, If you just thought the words of Shema, lo yata. you haven't fulfilled your mitzvah. Here we have something incredible. If you said the words but didn't think about it, you've, you've fulfilled the obligation. But if you think about it and didn't say the word, you have not fulfilled your obligation. It's incredible. Shema is all about accepting the yoke of heaven, and I'm telling you, if you didn't think, it's okay. If you said the word but didn't think, it's okay. But if you thought and didn't actually pronounce the, pronounce the word, it's not okay. How, how, what does that mean? <laughs> Imagine you're crowning the king of England <laughs> and you're, you're lying. You say, I'm crowning you king, but in your heart you don't want him to be king. So we say, that's okay. But if in your heart you really want him to be king and you don't tell him, that's not okay. Is this a question? Shemendel, the question is clear? Just say it again. Say it again. If you're crowning the king of England as king, mm-hmm. is it important that you, want, that you want him to be king or that you tell him that you want him to be king? Well, let me, let me say it better. If you tell him you want him to be king but you really aren't interested, is that good? Not really. Not really. If you, if you don't verbally tell him, but in your mind that's what you're thinking, is that good? That you want him to be king? So in your mind you're like, I really want this person to be king, but you don't verbalize it, is that good? If you're not violating any civil laws in the process, I guess. So which one is better? To want it and not to verbalize it, or verbalize it and not to want it? To want it and not verbalize is better. It's better. Yeah. It's better. Do you agree with that, Mark? Well, one's passive aggressive and one's just aggressive. So, I mean, personally, I'm going to say it because that's just who I am in my world. But the reality is, from a practical perspective, is you don't get to pick the king. The king's already picked before you. That's why I said, if it's according to one, that doesn't, doesn't really matter. But for the here we're learning here we're learning it's more important Hashem wants you to say it even if you don't think it it's more important to say it than to think it even if you don't believe it even if you're not thinking about it that's not what he asked meaning if you're playing if you're playing a game on your phone and you say Shema you fulfill the obligation but even though you're distracted, even if you're distracted, you can hear what you said. No, even if you can't hear, even if you, can. even if you can't hear, you still fulfill the obligation. Just by saying it. But if you sat down with your head and you close all the you close all the lights, you do whatever, and you completely focused on these words, you had the deepest intention, but you didn't verbalize it. You have not fulfilled your obligation. It's not real. Why is it not real? What have you done wrong? 
You've, you've, you've had all the holy intentions. Why is that not enough? Because you said that you've got to verbalize and make it enough. Why? Why? Because it's not just thoughts, it's action. And, and your words are action. This is exactly the point. Well, the Shema itself, it said, doesn't it say you, you shall speak of them? Articulate every word. Yes, Shema does say you, you should teach this to your children. But this is exactly the point we've learned in the Tanya, the last three chapters. Hashem wants action. Hashem wants to live in a physical world. So you having the deepest intention is keeping Hashem still in heaven. If I want to bring Hashem physically down here, I need to do it in a physical way. I need to pronounce the words. So thinking is important, but more important is the action. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. Let's see it inside. Boom. Here we go. Chapter 38, page 180. Exactly what I told you, you'll see in, written much better than I could have ever possibly explained in the, words, in the holy words of Tanya. Chapter 38, page 180. In light of all that has been said above, one will clearly understand the decision of the halacha that has been laid down in the Talmud and codes, code of the Shulchan Aruch. What do we learn? That med meditation is not valid in lieu of verbal articulation. Yeah. You can meditate as much as you want. That's not going to cut it for verbal art articulation. So much so, so that if one has recited the Shema only in his mind and heart, even with the full force of his concentration, the most incredible concentration possible, Kavana, he has not fulfilled his obligation, and he is required to recite it again orally. <clears throat> the most incredible concentration, you need to say the Shema again orally. Similarly, not only by Shema, but the same thing is going to be by benching with grace after meals, which is ordained by the Torah, and with other benedictions ordained by the rabbis and with prayer. In all of these scenarios, if you focused but you did not articulate it, it is not considered done. On the other hand, on the contrary, if he has uttered them with his lips but did not intend with his heart, the entire time his mind was on his vacation, not a, not a second focused, Nonetheless, he has fulfilled his obligation. And he is not required to repeat them. Yeah, isn't that it? This is quite incredible. Mm -hmm. So if you focused, but didn't articulate, out. You didn't focus, but articulated, fantastic. Except, yeah. go ahead. Oh, and that's exactly what the... Uh, Tanya just says there are two places that if you didn't focus you need to repeat except for the first verse of the Shema and the first blessing of the Amida. So yes, the first blessing you need to focus and the first verse of Shema. Thus it is stated because of this. Because of this that it's more important to articulate than focus at the beginning of chapter 2 of Brachos it is stated up to here the commandment of intention applies. From here and on comes the commandment of recitation and so on. In other words, the commandment is at least to articulate and recite it. 
Okay, so here we have clarity that if you articulate it, it's fine. Intent is not good enough. Why? And here is where Tanya really but just summarizes the last three chapters. The reason is that the Nishama needs no perfecting. These line, this line is, is a knockout. Your Nishama is perfect. The soul you have, we say in Davani every day, is Tahirahi. It's it's pure. So why did you come here? The Nishama needs no perfecting for herself. By means of the commandments, when we do a mitzvah, we're not fixing the godly soul. The godly soul is fixed. <laughs> you know there's people that come and tell you they want your life to be better? Sometimes you're not even sure what's wrong. But they're selling you something. Right? <laughs> the godly soul doesn't need the commandments. But as, so why? Why did it come here? But has only to draw forth light to perfect the vivifying soul and body by means of the letters of speech which the nefesh pronounces with the aid of the five organs of verbal articulation. How am I going to purify the soul? How will I purify the how will I purify the animalistic soul? How will I purify the body? By the verbal articulation. Similarly with the active commandments which the nefesh performs with the aid of the other bodily organs. Similarly, when you do something involved not only in speech but also action, you're refining the whole body. Summary. So let's put this all together. Tanya has kind of summarized the last three chapters in short that it's we need the action. We need the action. Let's not get caught up on the intent alone. We need the action. Any questions until here? Simple. Boom. Now Tanya completely changes course. For the ne- and this is where we're going to go for the next three chapters. You see, at this moment, it's almost like saying that don't worry about intention. Don't worry. Play with your phone during Shema. Do whatever you want. That's kind of what it sounds like here. It's like, <laughs> intent is not... So now Tanya's going to go on and say, no, no, no. You're right. Most important is articulation. But if you don't have intent, it's like a body without a soul. It's like a body without a soul. Yes, Michael. Yes, Mark. Why would you do it if you didn't have intent? Why would you do it in the first place? Okay, I don't know about you. I could talk for myself. Sometimes I'm in shul, and I'm really not there. I'm really thinking what I'm going to have for breakfast. So I'm saying words, but I'm completely not there. You know what? Sometimes I'm in meetings with people and I, I don't even know how I went through that meeting because I wasn't there either. Shul is different for me because it's a struggle for me to get to shul. So if I do make an effort to go, it means I really want to be there. And then I'm engaged. One second. Let me, let me, let me ask you. That's, I appreciate that. But when you come to shul and you read the words of the sitter, are you able to focus on the words? I'm not focused on anything else. Sometimes the words get jumbled for me just because it's the, the words are intense in themselves. But when I'm at shul, just because I've actually decided to come to shul, I'm actually focused. You're a lu- rare. You're a, you're a lucky man. And may it always be so. That's, a, that's an amazing, amazing ability. You're saying that when you're not at shul, 
Which is most of the time. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you were, that was your You know, they say the greatest brainstorms come during during prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And my spin class. And so. <laughs> Um, okay. But here's the thing: is that when I when I choose to go to shul, is it's like my little bubble, like I'm in my zone, and I'm really focused. And that's the same way, like I feel about this class, is like it's like my zone, and I, I that's why I get like I feel like I get so much out of this class because I'm I might not look like it to everybody else, but I feel like I'm really focused for me. That, that's amazing. That's really amazing. Do you think you could be as focused if you weren't more often? Or is it a... Well, we'll leave that. That's a private question after class. <laughs> okay. So, that, that's a good... I've got to just, just turn Michael on nonsense like forever, since I got here in the early 90s. <laughs> it seems like forever. So, so he, gets, he has permission to make things. <laughs> so right now it seems that intention is secondary. But we're going to learn that just like a body, is your soul a soul that is a a dead body? Is it alive? No, it's dead. It's a t- it's a t- it's a trick question. No, depends how long it's been dead for. It's been dead for a year. The body is still alive. Let me explain what that means. The fact that the body is in this world means there's some life to it. The body and soul have different energies within them separately. Otherwise, it couldn't exist. When we say there's a body and a soul, if, unfortunately, when someone passes away, the body doesn't disappear. That means there's a separate level of energy that the body itself has. So, sure, from a quantum physics perspective, the body will have carry energy with it and will fill that space, but until what point? So what we learn is if something is physical, it has godliness within it. You can't be in this world and not be alive. A rock is alive. Now, I don't mean alive that it's moving. A rock is an inanimate object. But a rock is full of godly energy. If it wasn't, it would... Let's let's talk about the the splitting of the sea. The sea split. What type of miracle was that for Hashem? Was it a big miracle, a small miracle? How would I know? Talmudic resources. Let, let's How would I know that there weren't bigger miracles that maybe we missed? For something, for some, you, you see, if you go and take a material and make something out of it, are you able to leave that item after you've, met, after you've made it? 
If you draw a picture, do you need to stay with the picture for the rest of your life? No. Or, no. The reason being because you've done nothing. All you've done is you've taken a collage of items and you've made something, but you haven't created something new. Some, what do I mean by something new? Something new means something that didn't previously exist. Something from nothing. Ex nihilo. You see, I'll give you another example. Why is it that when the sea split, Hashem had to constantly be holding the water back? I mean, if you go ahead and you make an, uh, an art project, it's going to stay there. So why when Hashem made an art project and had the river stand still, why was it a big deal? It was strategic. You kept it... You kept, uh, at least in a movie. <laughs> 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 He kept, it, he kept them apart until Why did he hold them back? Because there were some people that didn't want to go and finally they decided to go. So it, 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 even, it, it took a while for two million people to cross. So you have these two walls made of water. And if Hashem would, it would have stopped for a second making it water, it would have fallen back. Why? Because water has no structure, it just... So exactly this point. The point is that if you want to make something out of nothing, you'll have to be with it forever. Something cannot exist out of nothing without constant energy within it. So for example, <laughs> how, well, how, what would it take for Hashem to destroy this world? So it's a classical question they ask, it's like a trick question in Yeshiva. How hard would it be for Hashem to destroy this world? Not would it take an atom bomb? What would it take? Um, the plagues. Well, the plagues didn't destroy the world. But the plagues the caused chaos. If Hashem wants that this world should be non-existent, no, 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 not that the people should die. If Hashem wants that this universe should just not be here anymore, how? What? What, what would He have to send to destroy it? A meteorite. You were talking about the He's universe, saying, saying not the, universe, the world, not just the, yeah, the yeah. not just the earth. Well, that hang on, He didn't define that. Whatever it is, if Hashem wants the earth. Earth. Is the Earth alone for a moment? Because there are other Earths out there. Oh. How do we know? How do we know? He could just simply uh, will it to no longer exist, and it may cease to. He could what? How do we know? Well, if well, you go ahead and create a house, and you will it to no longer exist, yeah, what about God? You make engineering plans, right? And and then you will the engineering plans to no longer exist because the person didn't pay you up. Do those engineering plans just? <laughs> so in, in six days he created. In six days he could uncreate. Oh, and so maybe in one maybe, maybe maybe global climate change is one of those days. Maybe the atomic bomb is one of those days. We don't know because we're living in it. So here's what I want to share with you. That's like a trick question. For Hashem to have the world disappear. He doesn't need to, he needs to stop doing what he's doing. He doesn't need to destroy the world. He needs to stop creating it. Right. 
Every world, every minute, Hashem is actively creating the world. This is a quote in the Tanakh. Hashem Constantly Hashem is creating the world. So to destroy the world, you don't need to destroy it, you need to stop creating it. So, so the destruction... It was a trick question. The destruction of the Amazon rainforest, which is the lungs of the earth, that potentially could be the beginning of the destruction of the earth. Because we lose our oxygen. oxygen. No, but you're, you're, saying, you're saying to destroy the world. What I'm saying is, if Hashem didn't want a world, He wouldn't need to destroy it. He would just need to stop creating it. And this is a critical, critical point. Why is it so critical? Why is it so critical? Because with this understanding, we'll know that every single thing in this world has to have godliness within it. You cannot have something and not have Hashem in it. Hashem needs to create it every second. For this cup to be here, there is godliness actively creating it. For the table to be here, there is... Con God <laughs> if Hashem didn't want this table to be here, He just needs to stop creating it for a second. And it, we just wouldn't see this table anymore. With this understanding, let's go back to that dead body and then I'll take questions. If there's a dead body, it's that dead body has godliness within it. Otherwise, a dead body just wouldn't exist anymore. Not that it disintegrated. That, went, that it would not be here anymore. The moment someone would die, let's say it another way, if there was no godliness in the body, the moment a person died and his soul left, the body would disappear. But effectively, it does disappear when it gets eaten by the worms. Dust to dust and all that. The body returns to dust, but the body hasn't disappeared. It's gone back to its source. Disappear would mean that the moment someone dies, their body vanishes. Vanishes. Like David Copperfield does. I guess you know someone who's, who's close with Hashem. Yeah. Um, it's pretty, pretty magical. So, <laughs> so with this understanding, we know every single thing in this world has godliness within it. And therefore, if you're going to, and then I'll take your question, if you're going to go ahead and pray without intention, then you have the energy like a dead body. A dead body has energy, but it's a very small amount of energy. If you want to have a living body, energy of a living body, then you want to focus while praying, focus while doing a mitzvah, etc. Yes, my So, to a fun Mark's example, the rainforest, if people are setting fire to it and destroying, destroying it, how was the how is Hashem uncreating? That's where I, I don't. How do you reconcile? Uh, hang on, but He's creating farmland. Not saying I'm not right or wrong, but He's creating farmland so people can eat. Okay. But 
And maybe he knows how much forest needs to be destroyed to keep the world in a homeostasis stasis position, but we need farmland to feed people, so he's creating farmland. Are you trying to determine where does our responsibility end and well, where does God's yeah, begin? That's, or that's, that's what I'm having trouble with. Uh, could, could you repeat the question? It's not clear to me. The mankind, man, is destroying <clears throat> at least part of the, the rainforest and Mark's saying that Hashem is creating farmland and that we believe, or we'd like to believe that he is, he is wise in his judgment and he knows exactly how much farmland it's hard to say it because I, I have trouble with I, I, but I'm just we, I, I didn't think about it until right now about that God is continually creating and if something is getting destroyed what's getting created as but, a result of that but again who's creating it well that's I mean, the question well I'm saying I'm saying man is creating the farmland at, at the uh, uh, at the expense of the of the rainforest, and maybe, if, like you said, it's all homeos, There's a homeostatic balance there. I kind of, again, I, I don't so, that, but. could I see if I repeat the question? Yeah. Question is: When a person does something bad, is Hashem creating the bad outcome, or did man create the bad outcome? Is that the question? More or less, yeah. You know what we learn? We learn that man is forcing Hashem to create the bad outcome. Man is forcing Hashem. So to say. Hashem is not forced to do anything. But basically, you're, you're forcing Hashem to do something He doesn't want to do. We we learn about we. So are you saying then that are you letting man off the hook? You're saying that man then doesn't need to take responsibility for what they're doing because it's in it's guided by Hashem. Oh no 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 no! I'm saying the exact opposite. Okay. I'm saying that if a man sins. Hashem is going to continue to create what they have tried to do. For example, if they're, if they're trying to destroy... All right, let's just take a really bad example. If someone wants to kill another and they do it, Hashem's going to continue to create that dead body, for example. Although that's completely against Hashem's will. So if someone wants to go and burn down a building, it could be something that is inappropriate and completely wrong, but Hashem will still continue to create the charcoal and you know ashes that the building continues to give off. So the rainforest example, there could ultimately be a lot of say holy, but a lot of dead bodies there. Hashem, 100%. Hashem, 
Hashem wants us to be a partner in creation. Have you heard this expression? Mm -hmm. Hashem wants us to be a partner in creation. Yeah. We actually learned He didn't complete, complete the world. He left it, part of it to man. So certainly we have the ability to have an effect on this world. Yes, for the good or, or God forbid for the opposite. Let's see this idea inside and then we'll, we'll take more questions and put it together. Page 182, left-hand column, bottom paragraph. Nevertheless, although the most important thing is the physical articulation of the words, nevertheless it has been said that prayer or other benediction recited without kavana is like a body without a neshama. Praying without intention, although it's considered prayer, but it's considered prayer like a body without a soul. This means that just as in all creatures in this world, possessing a body and a soul, and now Tanya is going to say that there are three types of souls, namely the nefesh of all living. That's number one, the first type is nefesh. Number two, and the ruach of all human flesh, ruach. And number three, in the nisham of all that has the spirit of life in its nostrils, among all living creatures. So any item in this world that has nefesh, ruach, or nishama, all of which God animates and brings into existence ex nihilo constantly. Every single moment Hashem is creating everything in this world from fresh. How does He do it? by the light and vitality which he imbues in them. So he's constantly giving them godliness. And now Tanya clarifies, for also the material body, and even the very inanimate stones and earth, have within them light and vitality from him, blessed be he, so that they do not revert to naught and nothingness as they were before. So just like the body, the, the example of the dead body, if there was no godliness in the dead body, it would revert, like it says here, to nothingness. So even though there's godliness within the body, there is nevertheless no comparison or similarity whatsoever between the quality of the light and vitality that, illum that illuminate the body and the quality of the light and vitality that illuminate the neshama, which is the soul of all living. So although both the soul and body have godliness in it, don't say they both have the same amount of godliness. You're not going to tell me that, you, that a dead body is as good as a live body. That wouldn't be too. That would that would be a little bit of a problem, right? That would be. <laughs> we hope so. <laughs> but we will agree that a dead body and a live body both have godliness within them. So your service to Hashem, the physical service with no intent, has godliness in it. But it's like the dead body. And if you want to make it like a live body, you need to have the intent behind it. Let's put this, let's stop here in this context and take questions. I think there's many questions. Let's see if we can put it all together. Yes, Gershon. Um, you said a, uh, a dead body isn't as good as a live body. What if it's the dead body of a tzaddik who lived to be 100 years old? And nobody lives maybe to 120 and then, it, and then you compare it with the live body of somebody who's not maybe doing such good things with their life. Not, I'm not sure we, how can we make that determination that a, I know that sounds maybe unusual, but how can we determine a, a live body 
is better than a, than a dead body. And if they both have a soul, maybe the, 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 the body of the deceased Sadi, the soul has more life than the person is alive. How could you say that a live body is better than a dead body? It depends from who. I appreciate the question. Let me, the truth is, I, I went a little bit digressed from the words of Tanya. So let me, re, let me use the words of Tanya as the best example. Or the best. Tanya is saying that a body without a soul has godliness in, within it. But it is nothing compared to a body with a soul. The energy is not compared at all to the energy of the soul itself. The energy of the, the body and soul both have energy, but you're not going to compare the energy of the body to the energy of the soul. So rather than using a dead and alive body, let's just compare the body and soul itself. Both of them have energy, but you wouldn't compare the two and say that they're equal. Are there any other questions? Okay, have a good evening everybody and thank you very much.